the triumphal entry. Now when they were near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Then brought, they brought the donkey and the, and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Thank you, Brother Cole. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. I ask now that in a mighty way that you, by your Holy Spirit, will take your word and will speak to each of our hearts. Lord, I pray that our hearts will be good soil to receive your word, the seed of your word, and that it would grow to produce a great harvest. I pray that we will have hearts that are open and attentive and, and expecting to hear from you. Speak, O oh Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. And Father, I pray that we will have hearts that are soft to receive what it is that you have to say and that we will not harden our hearts Father, I ask that, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. 
Many times when we think about the persecution that our Savior Jesus experienced, we think about His crucifixion. And that is very true. He experienced incredible rejection and heartache and persecution in His crucifixion. But many times we forget that throughout His life, Jesus was on the receiving end of persecution. In the book of John chapter 5, it highlights for us interactions that Jesus had with the Jewish people and He was doing miracles on the Sabbath and they were getting angry with Him because they were thinking that He was breaking the, the law and He was on the receiving end of persecution. And the Jewish people spoke evil against Him. And throughout the Gospels, you see that the religious leaders continually spoke in evil ways and and really were persecuting Jesus, not in the same kind of upfront, over-the-top persecution that we see in his crucifixion, but in many different ways. And it was during that time that Jesus was responding because these are Jewish people. They had grown up with the knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Many of them had studied in the synagogues and many of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. That's pretty crazy to think about. And the priests and the Pharisees had even more knowledge of the scriptures. And still, they're persecuting and rejecting Jesus. And as Jesus was in the midst of this, I would encourage you, you could read the whole of John chapter 5. But in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, Jesus says something very telling to the Jewish people. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What an indictment against these Jewish people. Jesus is calling them out and saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And then he says, it is they that bear witness to me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. was highlighting to those Jewish people who had been so schooled in the scriptures that the scriptures have one main focus. And if we miss what the scriptures are pointing to, we miss the whole point. 
and we miss out on the life that we are longing for. His focus that he is trying to bring to these Jewish people is saying, the scriptures testify about me. The whole of the Bible testifies about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And if we don't look to Jesus, we will miss out on the life that comes through his word. Because his word testifies about Jesus. Today is Palm Sunday, and so therefore we read about the triumphal entry of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, into Jerusalem. Coming in as a king. But I want us to consider that in this passage in Matthew 21, 1 through 17, that there are three times where the Old Testament scriptures are being quoted and there is the acknowledgement that those scriptures were being fulfilled in Jesus coming into Jerusalem, going into the temple and, and cleansing the temple, and then in the children worshiping him in the temple. In verse 5, the Holy Spirit led Matthew to quote from the Old Testament. In verse 13, when Jesus drove out the people selling in the temple, he quotes Isaiah. And in verse 16, once again, Jesus quotes from the Psalms. And all of this highlight the truth that we find in John 5.39, that the scriptures bear witness about Jesus. They point to Jesus the King. And, and that should lead us today to focus on and to read the scriptures. But when we read the scriptures, to sit under what the Lord is doing in pointing us to Jesus. See, God's word points to Jesus the King. Read his word and respond to Jesus the King. In verses 1 through 11, we see that God's word points to Jesus, the humble king. Read God's word and worship him. In verses 12 to 13, we see that God's word points to Jesus, the holy king. Read God's word and pray to him. In verses 14 through 17, we see that God's word points to Jesus, the wonderful king. Read God's word and praise him. First of all, in verses 1 through 11, God's word points to Jesus, the humble king. Read God's word and worship him. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now listen, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, 
Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. What an incredible picture we are given of our Savior here. They come to Bethpage, which is at the top of the Mount of Olives. He tells two of his disciples, go. And this is pretty incredible. How in the world did he know that there was going to be a donkey with her colt there? Just another thing that highlights the divinity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Knowing all things. And they go. And they get the donkey and the colt. They untie them. And they bring them to our Lord Jesus. But, but pay attention to this. It says this took place to fulfill. What was spoken by the prophet. Hundreds and hundreds of years before this. Thousands of years. The Holy Spirit had led the prophet Zechariah to prophesy about this day. The prophecy found in verse 5 Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, is found in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Now it's interesting, when we consider the context of Zechariah, the book, um, and then particularly chapter 9. There's one commentator who gives an insight into this, and I think it's helpful for us to get a bit of a better understanding of what's going on here. G. Campbell Morgan um, is speaking of this, and he says, uh, The burden of the word of Jehovah upon the land of Hadrach, which is, that's the title of Zechariah chapter 9. It occupies chapter 9 to 11 in the book of Zechariah, and it consists of the message of the prophet concerning an anointed king who would be rejected. If we take the next burden, the burden of the word of Jehovah concerning Israel, chapters 12 to 14, we find that the message is that of of the rejected king enthroned. Out of the prophecy then, which deals with the rejection of the anointed king, Matthew quoted this. So when Zechariah wrote the book of Zechariah, the Holy Spirit led him 
to, to write this prophecy that was being fulfilled when Jesus came into Jerusalem about the rejected king, about the humble king. Behold, your king is coming to you humble. Consider the humility of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. C.S. Lewis made the claim that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So now as we consider that about our Savior, the Lord Jesus, we can consider that his whole life was a life of humility. In fact, that is what we see in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, where it highlights to us Christ's example of humility. It says this, Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now listen. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death. On a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our humble King. Riding on a colt. And it's interesting, verses 6 and 7, it says the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. It's kind of an interesting verse. It's the only time in the Gospels where it highlights uh, that there were two animals, both the donkey and the colt. The other passages in the Gospels just highlight that there was the cult. Um, but uh, here it highlights 
that that there was also the mother of the colt, the donkey, and having the mother coming along with the colt would have helped the colt um, uh, calm down as they were going into the city. And what it says that, um, and he sat on them, sometimes we can think, is Matthew saying that Jesus was sitting on both the donkey and on the colt? Um, it's actually speaking of him sitting on the cloaks that were on the colt. Um, but this is interesting because Jesus is on this donkey coming in as the king. There were, were many triumphal entries that happened during the Roman Empire. But when a Roman emperor would come into the city after being triumphant, he would never come in on a colt. He would come in on a horse. So in humility, our Savior, the King of Kings... Came in. And what was their response in verse 7? In verse 8 and 8 through. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save. And it's a, it's a prayer and it's a praise. Save us. Save us. Son of David. They are in, the son of David means that they are acknowledging that he is the king. And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee. What is our response to the humble King Jesus. When we hear about Jesus from God's word, and when we understand his humility, he came to serve and not to be served. How do we respond? I want to encourage and challenge each of us to read in God's word And to make a habit of reading in God's word. And as you read in God's word, as it focuses your heart upon Jesus and on his humility, to respond to him in worship. As these people did on that day thousands of years ago. Hosanna to the son of David. See, God's word points to Jesus. Read his word and respond to him. In verse 12 through 13, we see that God's word points to Jesus, the holy king. Read God's word and pray to him. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Now, this is an interesting passage because the world that we live in likes to think of Jesus as the meek and the lowly. And, you know, you, there's pictures that are around of, you know, it's Jesus and he's got this little lamb and he's teaching and he's all kind and gentle. 
But here we are given a very different picture of who our Savior is. He came in with zeal and righteous anger. I mean, could, could you imagine being in the temple that day when Jesus comes in and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple? He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. But once again, note with me in verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. See, God's word points to Jesus, the king. And Jesus coming in and clearing out the temple was foretold. And it was pointing forward to Jesus. And do you see what kind of authority that Jesus claims at this point? It says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. In saying that, Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming that the temple was his house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And when he quoted that, he was quoting from Isaiah 56, verse 7. And then he says, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when he quotes, but you have made it a den of robbers, he is quoting also from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11. Now consider with me, There's an owner of a great and vast hotel chain. And he decides as he travels around the world that he will go to the flagship hotel. The one that is the best of the best. So as the owner, he comes into the hotel and he checks in. And of course, he's in the presidential suite, the best of the best rooms. And the owner of this hotel then takes the elevator up. He goes and he gets to the door of his room and he opens it up. And as he opens up and steps into the room, he notices that there are cockroaches everywhere. In a, in, in a real sense, he would be justified to be angry with the manager of that hotel who had been given stewardship. Because for the manager of that hotel to allow cockroaches in the best room of the best hotel was to allow things to happen in that hotel that were totally against the main purpose of what was supposed to happen in the hotel. 
Because in that room was to be a place of rest. If a guest would come and and would go and open up the room and go into the hotel room and find the cockroaches, they wouldn't have the authority to do anything except go and tell the manager of the hotel. But here, the owner would have the authority to do whatever it was that was needed in order to to make it so that hotel room was fulfilling its purpose. Jesus, really the owner of all things, but as he just quoted here, the owner of the temple. He came in and saw how people had totally turned around what the whole purpose was for the temple. The temple was to be a place for people to come and where they were buying and selling was in the, in the, the area for the Gentiles to come. And they were selling and they were making it a place of profit. It was completely antithetical to the purpose for the temple. For the temple was a place to come and worship the one true king. And he, coming in with authority, had seen what the stewards of the temple had done in completely turning it around. And he took authority and he drove them out. Because he is holy. You know, it's interesting because we can sense the zeal of the Lord Jesus for the holiness of his temple at that time. But sometimes we can forget that for us as believers today, the Lord has made our bodies his temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And the thing that got Jesus angry was they were making this a place of buying and selling when it was supposed to be a place of prayer. So for us as believers today, how is our prayer life? The Lord has made us his temple. What what are things that have come up in our life that distract us from prayer? Things that the owner of our bodies, the owner of our temple, if he were to take a look, would be abhorred at? 
In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to encourage all of us as I encourage my own heart. Lord Jesus, search me. Show me those cockroaches that I've allowed to come in. Show show me the sin in my heart. Show me the times where I've made life and worship of you actually more about me. Because that's what was happening in the temple. They were buying and selling and they were trying to make it a profit. The focus wasn't on the one who must be worshipped, our Savior. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And, and as we allow him, the holy king of all, the owner of our temples, to search, then for us to confess those things to him, receive the incredible cleansing that he provides through the blood of our Lord Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and thank him. And may his love motivate our hearts to respond in praise and in prayer. God's word points to Jesus, the Holy King. Read his word and pray to him. In verses 14 through 17, God's word points to Jesus, the wonderful King. Read God's word and praise him. Don't you love what he does after he casts them out? And this is on the Monday, so this is the day after the triumphal entry. But in verse 14 it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Isn't it wonderful to know that we have a Savior who there's nothing too difficult for him? But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things... That he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? So it's interesting because these religious leaders are hearing these children crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And the religious leaders understand that. By them crying out Hosanna to the son of David, they are giving him praise that is only meant for the Messiah. That was only meant for God himself. And so when they say Jesus to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? They're trying to catch him. But isn't it amazing how Jesus responds? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared prepared praise. This goes back to what we read in John chapter 5. He said, You read the scriptures not really realizing that they point to me. And here he's talking to the religious leaders. And once again, he says, In Psalm chapter 8, when the Holy Spirit led David to read, write 
Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise that he was pointing forward to me. That's what Jesus is saying. And in saying that, he is claiming that he was fully God. Man. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. These wonderful things that our wonderful king was doing. And the children couldn't help but cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Don't you love it when you hear children praising our Savior? And I think of this verse, it says, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And I think of our little boy there, Azariah. And he's, he's a baby, and he's still nursing. And he, he can't make any intelligible words, really. Sometimes I like to think he's saying, Dada. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure he is. <laughs> And Aaron likes to think he's saying mama and, you know, whatever. But really, it's kind of unintelligible. But when we read this prophecy, it says, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And there's times I just wonder how much of this unintelligible sound that's coming from my little baby boy really is praise to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And these children in the temple, they saw Jesus the King and all of the wonderful things that he had done and they couldn't help but praise him. God's word points to Jesus. And Jesus made it very clear when he quoted from Psalm 8. And the proper response to Jesus the King was not only worship, was not only prayer, but it was praise to him. And I want to encourage and challenge each of us To search God's word. To spend time in God's word. But in doing it, don't read God's word as the Jewish people and the leaders had done. Because Jesus said, you search these things thinking that in them you have eternal life. And then he says, they they are that testify about me, but you have refused to come to me. I want to encourage us and challenge us. Spend time reading in God's word, but allow your time in God's word to point your heart to Jesus. To Jesus the King. Jesus the humble King who entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus the Holy King who, who cleared out the temple. And Jesus the wonderful King who healed the blind and the lame, 
Worship Him. Pray to Him. Praise Him. And even if at times it's unintelligible, like a baby, bring your heart before Him. Lord, we thank You for our Savior, Jesus. We thank You that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank You for His humility, His holiness, and His wonder. May our hearts be ever pointed to Him. And may we respond rightly to Him. We thank You, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.